There's something exciting about what happens in 1 Kings chapter 8. It is when, uh, last time we left it, we left Solomon marching the ark, the heart of the temple, into the temple and gave it life. It became like the house of God. And so it becomes the temple instead of just an architectural structure. And what he begins to do in verse 22, where we pick up tonight, is Solomon starts his dedication prayer, a ceremony uh, to mark the grand occasion of the house of the Lord open for business, for God's people. God's moved in. It's time to celebrate this with a dedication. And all a dedication is, you've been to some of these before, a dedication is this assembly where something significant uh, is being observed, and that significant thing is being explained and celebrated and initiated. And so he stands before the altar of the Lord, it says in verse 22, raises his hands before the people. It's a, an amazing occasion, but apparently somewhere between 22 and somewhere around uh, verse 50, uh, uh, he, he drops his hands or he drops himself. Because it says in verse 54, he then lifts himself up from a kneeling position with hands outstretched to bless the people. Somewhere in all that, he, he kind of hit his knees. Because this is a grand occasion. It's a brilliant piece of worship. It's a brilliant example of prayer. Uh, it's, it's a prayer about prayer. It's a prayer about God. When we pray, we don't believe in prayer. We believe in God, and so we pray. And that's what this whole uh, chapter is about. But here's what's really, I find this interesting. I want you to think with me about this. What is our comparison to this? God's about to move in and take ownership of this temple among the people. And he's celebrating the fact that God's moving in. God's chosen to move in among us. What's it like to know that God wants to live so close to you? He wants to live with you. And he comes in and he's going to move in. He wants to be close. That should make you feel very affirmed. But what is this occasion for New Covenant people? Yeah! I knew Randy would get it. That's why I'm kind of irritated that side of the room. So you got, <laughs> he's like, we, we're about to witness God moving into a new sense. It seems like we should have a ceremony, and we do. Every time someone's baptized, God's moving in, right? He's moving further into the world through another soul who's agreed to turn the deed over to God, right? So this is like, this is like a dedication or a ceremony or something for a person who chooses to house God. And there's two main things he wants to pray about. Talk about this and then leave it with you. First of all, as he starts this prayer, he wants to make sure that God knows we know just how grand occasion this is. God moving in. God. Okay, so, verse 23. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. There is nothing like our God. Do you feel that way? There's nothing like him. Now skip to verse 60 for a second. This is kind of after the formal prayer is over. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is 
no other. First of all, God is incomparable. There's nothing that is anything like him. You can't even make a comparison because there's nothing that's in his class at all. I don't mean he's one in a million. I believe it's, it's the fact that he's the one and only. That's the God we serve. There's nothing like this. The Old Testament is a little bit confusing, quite honestly. There's some passages say, you shall have no other gods before me. It's almost like saying there are others you can choose from, but I don't want you to have any others. But by the end of the Old Testament, what he's saying is there are no other gods besides me. So which is it? Well, it's really both, right? There's nothing else in the world you can turn to that has any kind of qualities like the God we serve. There's nothing like him. And so you can, you can turn to something else and treat something else as if it's like your God. But listen, it has nothing in comparison to the God we serve. Our God is greater than any other power or force in the world. There's nothing like him. We're told in 1 Timothy twice, in verse, chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, he alone is immortal and lives an unapproachable light. He's the only being that doesn't need any other being to be. Completely, totally independent of anything. Which is why Peter says, like we said this morning, when he says, you're going to leave me too, and he says, where are we going to go? There's nothing like you. If it's not you, we got to go way down below you to the next best thing. This is also why God is jealous. It's why God is jealous. He explains, I am jealous because I'm the only resource for you that makes any sense, and yet you sometimes act like I'm no big deal. Our God knows he's one and only. He wants to remain the one and only, and so he's jealous. Now, Oprah doesn't like that. Sorry, Oprah. But that's the truth. That's the God we serve. So if you walk away from him, where are you going to go? This incomparable God who's unlike anything else wants you. And he wants to live in you. And if that doesn't just kind of like rock your world and just kind of bless your mind, I don't know what else. But then he goes on. Look at verse 23. We begin with this prayer again as he goes on. We're going to do this with every verse, but... Keeping the covenant of love, so showing steadfast love, keeping covenant, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their, your might, their might, their heart. You've kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand, you fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for, your, keep for your servant David, my father, what you promised him, saying, You shall not like a man to sit before you before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you walk before me now. Our God is fiercely loyal. He keeps every single word he says. He never, there's, there's certain things our God cannot do. Can you think of one? He can't lie. Once he says something to you, he must keep it. Now this is where we kind of have God over a barrel. If God says something, we know that he's going to keep it no matter what. No matter what, what happens, he's going to keep this word to us when we keep our covenant with him. He's fiercely loyal, so he makes promises. And this is a word that's known as condescension. You ever condescend to somebody? You ever had somebody condescend to you? It's kind of offensive because they're talking down to you. 
They talk like you are lower than them, and so they condescend. It's very condescending, and it's annoying. It's patronizing, unless it's God. If God's talking to you, he is greater than you, correct? He is above you, correct? And yet, he's willing to make agreements with us that we'll never keep as fully as he will. And he says, I'm fiercely loyal. I'll keep every word I speak. And so when God makes a promise to you, he keeps it. That's the God we serve. So he's fiercely loyal. You can trust what he says. And then verse 27 beginning. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less will this house that I've built yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers in this place." And listen to the plea of your servant, of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. God is both up there and he's down here at the same time. You need God in both places. Now God does take up residence in you, but listen, that's not all of God. You know that, right? The whole God of the universe isn't going to sit in this temple in Israel and be only there when he's bigger than the universe. He's not gonna just live in us, but he lives in us, he lives in others, he lives in the universe, and so he's everywhere. He's way up there and he can lift you out of the mess of your life, but he's also in there, in you. He knows very well what's going on with you, and the feelings that you have, and the doubts and the confusion that you have, he's well aware of all that. He's so big he can do something about it, but he's so near that he knows and he cares. And then our God hears us and listens. Every time you talk to him, he hears, he considers, and he responds. Verse 30 says he forgives when he hears. Says in verse 32 he acts and he judges and he responds. And you see that our prayers, the rest of this prayer is a prayer about God, when this happens and we pray to you, we pray that you'll respond this way. This is a prayer about future prayers. And I want you to notice how he does it. If a man sins against his neighbor, verse 31, when we're defeated before our enemies in war, verse 33, when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain, there's drought, verse 35, there's a famine in the land or pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar or an enemy besieges us in the land at their gates, verse 37. When this stuff happens, we go out in verse 44 to against a battle against our enemy, and when, and when they, they start overtaking us and we cry out to you, every time a circumstance like this goes on and we pray to God, he's going to do something about it. Our God listens to us. He leans down very carefully with his ear next to us, and he wants to know. He knows what situations we're in. When we sin, he knows. When we're defeated and overwhelmed, he knows. When we're anxious, he knows. And every time we pray, he responds, providing us what we need, not necessarily what we ask. God knows. And that leads to the second reality of this prayer. His presence in us does impact how we actually live. We know the God we serve. We're very aware of who's listening to us. 
and we pray very boldly and we pray about everything and we, we pray for God's wise counsel of us and we also know that him being in us impacts how we live. Notice verse 58. We're going to skip a few verses. In verse 58 he says that, we, that, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he has commanded our fathers. Verse 61. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God in his statutes, keeping his commandments as at this day. The fact that God lives in us impacts our behavior. I'm not going to sin against my neighbor, verse 31. I'm not going to sin against God, verse 46. I'm going to treat the foreigner with respect because God lives in me, 41. When you are aware of the kind of God who lives in you and has taken up residence in you as his believer and his child, the more aware of your sin you are. And you want to eliminate it. Not to make him love you and come move in, but because he's already living there. And you want to keep that life clear because you know that this sin is an offense against God. And the closer you are and more aware of God you are in you, the more you are very unsettled by sin that's residing there too. And so it motivates repentance. I want you to notice one of the Neatest verses of the Old Testament, verse 46. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. That's not just a New Testament doctrine. That's always back there in the Old Testament. If they sin against you, there's no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they're carried away captive to the land of the enemy. Far off or near, doesn't matter. Yet if they turn their heart to in the land in which they've been carried captive and they repent and they plead with you in the land of their captors saying, we have sinned, we've acted, we've acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you've chosen, the house that I've built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea. Maintain their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions they've committed against you. When God lives in you, you become aware of sin, but you also are motivated to repent because our God, verse 33, verse 35, verse 37, verse 44, verse 46, always is willing to forgive when we repent. That's the key. The only way a holy God can live in the midst of a sinful people without destroying them and blowing them up into a million pieces because of our sin, the only way we can have a God live in us for a very long time at all is he gives us the avenue of repentance. And if you're wise at all and aware of God's presence in you, you don't go very long without repenting. It's hard to imagine people who are sensitive to the God living in them living with unaddressed sin for very long because God's presence in them makes that known and it is just an incompatible dichotomy struggling within you like a tug of war. God's living in me and I'm trying to sin anyway and that's such a struggle that it's driving you to your knees in repentance. That's what God's presence is supposed to do. It fuels then worship too. Look at verse 62. 
And the king and all Israel with him, when they heard this prayer, they offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered his peace offerings to the Lord, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house to the Lord. They, they worshiped, and that's what you want to do when God's living in you. And especially prayer. You have God living in you, and you're aware of it and you have this access to God, why would you not use it? In the college class, Paul was talking about those ten lepers once. Why did one come back and the rest of them not? Isn't that strange? Their leprosy kept them away. They couldn't get close to God. They had to cry out, unclean, unclean. So they couldn't get close to Jesus at all. Uh, but they were, had to keep their at least ten feet distance between them. And then Jesus, in his miraculous power, actually healed them. And now, now there's no need to have that ten feet. You can go right into the presence of, of Jesus and thank him for healing you. And yet what you do is you go further away and just enjoy the freedom of that new healing and you don't go back. It seems that if God has made his residence there and made communication and communion with him so very possible right there at any time, wouldn't you take advantage? It makes sense. And finally, as you close out the chapter, you'll notice that they walk away with this joy. Solomon held the feast at that time, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from Lo, uh, Lebo, Hamath, the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God seven days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king. They went to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. The people were thrilled to death. There's something amazing about our incomparable God, who's so amazing living in us should be a joy that follows you home. Not just here at the house where we worship, but when you get home, knowing that you take God with you, that makes you joyful. Tonight, if you are not a host home for God, you really should consider signing over the deed. God wants you. He wants to reside in you. He wants to be a tabernacle in the world, moving around wherever you go, influencing other people to be drawn toward that life too. And in a moment, you're going to have a chance, if you're not, to do that, to give your life over to God. But what I want us to do is people, most of you in here, have done that. You are the residing place of God. It's time for us to practice this dedication prayer. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege and what an honor that our Creator who made us also wants to live within us, to abide with us, to be our God and for us to be His people. And in the New Covenant, what that means is that when we agree to let You be Lord of our life, that be our King and our Savior and our Ruler, You actually take up residence in us through the avenue of Your Holy Spirit. And you're with us at all times, transforming our minds in real time. Giving us access to the mind of Christ so that we can live out a kind of life that is what we were created to do. That is, that is a lot like Jesus and that shares with the world what, what's available and what will eventually be the new heaven and the new earth. 
Father, you are incomparable. There's, there's nothing on the earth that we know or experience that's anything like what you are. And there's no other resource we can turn to as created beings who are so dependent and need a God to rule over us. There's nothing we could be under the influence of that's any greater than you, the one who is not dependent on anyone. And it was so huge, you, you created the worlds with a word, and you are, you are bigger than this cosmos, and yet you make home with us, and you care about us and our little Jonesboro selves. And Father, I pray that when we acknowledge that every day, that the joy that that creates will be genuine. We don't have to rejoice, we don't have to muster joy it's just there because our creator knows us and loves us and has claimed us and wants to be with us and keeps us safe hears us and forgives us and responds to our needs in every way what kind of security is that what kind of comfort is that what kind of guidance is that for living on this fallen globe Thank you for moving in. Thank you for seeing such great value in us from your own eyes and telling us that and giving us this opportunity. Now I pray, Father, for anyone here who's never chosen yet to let you rule their lives and move in. You help them to see through your word that it is the smartest thing they could do, the greatest act they could undergo to let you save them and dwell within them and move them to respond tonight we would pray in jesus name amen if you need to respond make it known now as we stand and sing the invitation song